Are you looking for continuing education from a Canadian provider? Executive Links has almost 200 webinars to choose from on many topics, including med surge, critical care, geriatrics, peds, mental health, and more. Each webinar is $35 and includes handouts, a certificate of completion, and the option to watch live and on demand for at least a year. Save 15% for the rest of 2022 on any topic. Just use code GRITTY at checkout. Visit execulinks.net to register. That's E-X-E-C-U-L-I-N-K-S dot net. Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in again to the Green Nurse Podcast. We have a really great guest. I follow, I should say we follow this gentleman very often on Twitter. And, you know, I think he's a force to be reckoned with. But before I say anything more, let's pass it over to Sarah. I am really excited about our guest as well. I think he's got a very unique perspective on a lot of things and he does a lot of work. He's, you know, done so many great things. And without further ado, I will let him introduce himself and tell us a little bit about his work. Hey, everyone. My name is Patrick. Um, I'm known on the Internet as Pat MacRN. Or Pat Mac, you can call me either one. Um, but yeah, I am a registered nurse here in the um, United States in North Carolina. I started off as a CVICU nurse, uh, and I graduated from a community college associate degree nursing program to get my um, nursing license as a registered nurse. Um, and then from there, I got a BSN, and I'm currently finishing a master's, and I'll be starting my PhD in fall of 2022. I've been pretty busy. I started uh, in cardiovascular intensive care, but I've worked as a float pool nurse. I've done travel nursing, and currently I work in a um, preoperative clinic where we prepare people to have surgery for the state hospital um, here in my state. Uh, A large part of my uh, platform online focuses around like reimagining what nursing is and can be and how to kind of like venture out to new possibilities in nursing. Um, I'm a big advocate of community college-based nursing education, so um, associate degree in, in here in the United States, you know, associate degree nursing programs that lead to RN licensure or, um, you know, diploma programs that lead to um, licensure as a uh, licensed practical nurse or LPN. And so I spend a lot of my time online talking about those things. I'm involved with a couple of different groups, the Disrupt and Reimagination, uh, Reimagine Nursing Collective, uh, the Nursing Theory Collective, the Citizen Science Association. That's another big passion of mine. But yeah, that's who I am. I'm kind of like 
what you see is what you get with me. So <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely quite the list of things you have going on. Um, I know that I did a bit of poking around. I went onto your website. And I see that you do quite a bit of uh, research and consulting work. And you just mentioned um, citizen science, which I haven't heard of before. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about citizen science and how does that relate to healthcare? Yeah, so citizen science is a form of participatory research. And so in participatory research in general, those types of research approaches, you don't, you're, it's not just a researcher or a scientist going into a community to do research, they are involving people in the community in that research process, whether it's just people collecting data, taking pictures and uploading things, or whether it's collaborating uh, with them to like establish like what questions need to be asked and how a project needs to be designed. And so citizen science uh, is a form of that. Um, and it's a really kind of emancipatory, emancipatory approach to doing science because citizen science leads to real scientific outcomes. Like so Citizen scientists, we use the term citizen science to describe people who are not trained in science by education or trained as researchers by education, but who have an interest in science and are able and want to contribute to scientific research. So citizen scientists have helped identify new solar, not new solar systems. Uh, they've helped us to identify the way that different proteins fold and, th- and things like that. So citizen scientists are contributing to projects that have like a real world impact. And they're able to do that at varying levels, and they uh, kind of should get credit for their participation in, in that work as well. So, Yeah, I think this is really different than the way I learned about research in my studies, because it also seemed like it seemed like there was this wall, this wall that couldn't be broken between the researchers and the people that participated in the study. But it sounds like what you're saying is we want to actually involve the participants in the actual research that you're doing a little bit more. No, citizen science is definitely about, you know, democratizing knowledge and and science and about saying that people, even if they don't, if even if they're not, they don't have a PhD, they have something that they can contribute to science. And maybe we're better off if they are participating in this process. And also the power of the people, like the more people we have involved in science, the more that science becomes for everyone and the more and the better science becomes at the end of the day. It sounds like this is actually probably a really good way to do research, especially in terms of, you know, involving people. And I think it's also a way to build trust in your communities, because if you're a part of the, if you're a part of the work that's being done, you're a part of the science, you're part of the research, you can, you can see how the process works. You can understand and fully have trust in terms of what the process is. Cause I, I know that there are some people that would not want to be a part of research studies. And I think I could completely understand and empathize with them, especially with, you know, how some of the history is played out in terms of medical research and research in general. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Did I hit a nerve there? You did. You did. And I think that that's a big thing. If we want people, we see a disproportionate like uh, rate and, and people from historically excluded groups who are involved in research and clinical trials. And I also agree. I think that this is not a single solution, but it's a part of the bridge that's going to get us to the point where people will be much more trusting of research because, oh, I'm involved and I got to see how this, how the study evolved and how it unfolds. And they're more likely to trust something that they're a part of and that has been transparent and open. So totally. I completely agree. I was just going to ask you as well, Pat, about some of the consulting work that you do. Is Can you tell us a bit about that too? 
Yeah, so um, I do some work for GoodRx, which is a company that helps people save um, money on their prescriptions, um, particularly if you don't have insurance. I do some writing for them. Uh, a lot of my consulting comes in the form of like doing writing, creating content that matches up with what the target is, or writing about nursing or some um, aspect of health. Um, so I do kind of that work. I'll, I'll speak on panels sometimes about equity and justice and diversity. And so I do things about that, about how we can increase diversity and how that we can make diversity meaningful. So I've been able to do some of that work with uh, different companies. And um, it's been interesting. It's been good. You know, it's been a nice thing to be able to kind of use this as a bridge and as a like, kind of an extension of my work as a nurse, because I don't really see this as separate from nursing. I really see this as an extension of my role as a nurse. Um, part of the role of being a nurse means that I educate communities and people. And that's what I try to do with my consulting work. I provide my skills to help kind of bridge knowledge and facilitate learning and things like that. So, Yeah, that was actually a really neat thing that you, that you do. And in terms of some of the consulting and especially the work that you do in diversity, equity, inclusion, I think that's actually something that Sarah and I say is, is definitely a part of the work as a nurse. I, I don't see why it would be something separate. It's actually advocacy. And I think those are really, really important things that we we should be doing as a part of the work as nurses as well. I have a question for you. I did see that that you actually had a, a talk just recently, uh, why nurses and NPs should start a business. What is one of your biggest gripes about healthcare and nursing right now? And and I wish I could have heard this that, that conversation because right now um, we actually just had um, – a doctor who just talked to some NPs, there's a lot of people that are threatened by NPs. And I'm not too sure why that is. I don't think that they're taking over the work of a physician. But there is that huge fear. But what is your biggest gripe about healthcare in nursing right now? As far as what my biggest gripe in nursing is, uh, I was kind of on Twitter, you know, as I'm as I want to do, I'm fussing about this today about how when it comes to that that concept of nurses being able to kind of set their own path as to how they practice nursing like we I just feel like we've not been encouraged I don't remember in my education as good as I feel like my education was it didn't give me this idea that it was possible for me as a non you know advanced practice registered nurse that I should or could go out and be able to chart my own course on how I practice nursing to start a business and use my nursing skills in a direct way to the community. And I feel like it's kind of a, it's a sad thing because we're kind of, a lot of people have said it, like, you know, nursing schools are just like conveyor belts and they lead everybody just, you know, getting everybody ready to go into the hospital. But we keep saying how we need more community resources and how we need more nurses in the community. But outside of the a nurse working for a bigger corporation, we're not really helping nurses kind of innovate and, and imagine ways of existing outside of the ways that we've historically been allowed to exist. And I say allowed to exist is because there are nurses who are out there who have been trying to do this work and who are doing this work, but um, it's not easy. There are a lot of barriers to nurses being able to set up their own, right. their own kind of thing. Uh, it's definitely possible there are nurses who are entrepreneurs and who are doing it every day, but I feel like there are barriers because people don't expect that of nurses. People don't think we're qualified, but we have this amazing and this amazingly comprehensive like skill set. And we're not, we're, we're kind of taught just to only see ourselves in the light of being able to work in, in acute care or for some kind of large health system or health organization, never really as a business owner or leader. And I think that's sad. I think that's sad because I think the nurses that I do see in, see doing this type of work, they're really doing great things and they're filling like really big gaps. Like Navi nurse, 
I don't know if you all have heard of that. It's like these two nurses um, got together and they created this. It's not really, it's kind of like a blend of like concierge nursing. It's not really home health, but they provide these like nursing services directly to the population. Um, like if you just got out of surgery and you need someone to help you get set up the first few hours at your home, the check on you, help you arrange your medicines, they provide that service. And I'm like, Wow. Thinking now that I work in a pre-surgery clinic and I'm having to help teach people they have to arrange for care after they get discharged and they're saying, I don't have family, you know, I don't have anyone that lives here. I'm the only one in my family here. I don't have anyone that could stay with me. I'm like, this is, they need stuff like this. And what if we encourage nurses here, because I think they're in Arizona and I'm here in North Carolina. I'm like, what if we encourage nurses like to start their own business where they provide this transitional care and things like that? Like we aren't really encouraged to do that or, or, or even told that we are allowed, to, you know, I hate being say, saying allowed, but we aren't even told that we're allowed to dream of something like that. I air your frustrations. It's the same here, just across the border where, you know, I don't know very many nurses who run their own business. I know many nurses who might be speakers or they might be consultants, but I don't like maybe other than Sarah, <laughs> Sarah <laughs> runs a, a, a nursing resume business, but like we don't have a lot of nurses that are doing that type of work that I know of either. And it's, it's not something that is terribly encouraged. Like if I think back of, to my nursing career, yeah, like the acute care life, the hospital life is kind of what what you're sold, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's the same. They don't talk about entrepreneurship or what that might look like for nurses. It's 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 like we're not seen in those spaces. Yeah, and I think that the way that we envision nursing is that we set ourselves up to be put into this box where we think that the hospital acute care is the only place that you can really develop your skills and grow as a nurse, but. In terms of entrepreneurship, um, I think that nurses, and maybe this is maybe this is a gender issue where women feel that you know they don't have the right skills or they're going to get sued or am I allowed to do this? And there just haven't been very many, if any, role models doing yeah. this type of work. And especially with direct patient care, mm-hmm. feel I would feel totally lost. I wouldn't even know. I would be thinking I need to check with the college. Am I allowed to do this? But really, we probably are in our scope of practice. Yeah, I remember like, I mean, and there's some ideas I've been inspired. Like there's some ideas that I am like, I always say I'm plotting and scheming for the future. Um, my, <laughs> diabolical plans, my diabolical plans for my nursing future of things I want to do. And I'm envisioning this role um, of almost like a kind of like, we have nurse navigators and they kind of are focused on like, we have a disease nurse navigator. So we have like a transplant nurse navigator. You have like a heart failure nurse navigator. But I'm like, what if we had like a community nurse navigator? One that just like this nurse you can go to and be like, I'm completely lost. I need support. I need someone to kind of like a, a fusion of like the navy nurse concept, but almost adding case management to the thing. Uh, to the to Yes. The- and Navi Nurse probably actually provides that service. So it may be like replicating what they've already, they've already had the groundwork and just growing that into something. I do, you know, as I, as I move forward in my career and I, um, you know, do my PhD, things like that, I would love to be able to, you know, 
add the research piece and a community research piece to that. I'm still kind of working out what that would look like. But I'm like, you know, what if we just bought that and that and nurses were allowed to set up their own businesses and do this? And what if nurses were accessible to the community as a pharmacist is like how you can go to a Walgreens and speak to a pharmacist and get consultation without really Mm -hmm. any kind of cost. And it's a And it's already a a thing that's there, a resource that's there. What if nurses were that accessible to the community? Like I envy pharmacists because they are the most accessible healthcare providers, technically because of the fact that you can walk in any pharmacy, whether you have money or not, and at least get a basic, basic health information and consultation and guidance about your health and medications and things like that. That is very true. Like, I mean, why why are nurses not in that space? Why aren't we, you know, yeah, maybe they see the the pharmacist, but then after they go speak to the nurse and they can speak, they can learn about and find out if there's issues with determinants of health. And that's where you can kind of build in that social piece. Like, are there issues with, you know, food insecurity or income or, you know, like housing and build in some of those other things to kind of help support that, that individual. I think that kind of almost falls in line with some of the work that you're already doing in terms of like reimagining what nursing could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Pat, I think you're so forward thinking, like you're an advocate just like Amy and I, but obviously you have your specific interests. And I actually was wondering, um, because you wrote an article about who quote unquote gets to be in nursing. And I'm sure you have lots of thoughts about this in terms of what kinds of biases or discrimination exist in the world of nursing. That article came from a a very personal place because on Twitter and on social media in general, I just see all these conversations about, I'm not a big fan of that, of the saying, just we can't just let anyone be a nurse. Right. And the reason I have an issue with that is because it comes from a place of gatekeeping. Like, I understand that everybody's not going to want to be a nurse. Maybe not everyone is fitted to be a nurse. But when we come from the angle, we just can't let anyone be a nurse. It comes from the idea that we need to exclude people. And I am mm-hmm. like vehemently opposed to that idea that we should be excluding people. Because I, I feel like when we say we can't just let anyone be a nurse, it's like we're going to kill some people's desires, the desire to even consider nursing. Right. Because we're determining whether they're worthy or not from the start. We're not even letting them attempt or see how things go. Because the reality is there are so many people who love to say, oh, nursing is a calling. It takes a special person to be a nurse. And like, I don't want to take away like, yes, in some ways it takes people who are willing to put up with certain amount of things. Yes. Does it make us more special than anyone else? Not really. I mean, all of us make decisions about what we will and will not allow according to our jobs or in our lives in general. So I'm not discounting the worth and the and the and the work of nursing, of course, but I think that we need to end this idea that there are certain people who are inherently better suited to be nurses. There are right. certain people that are certain because of their, you know, circumstances or um, disposition that may categorize as being more right. But the idea, the reality is that nursing is a job and it's a career and it's a, you know, not every career path you start off, you know. I don't want us to leave out people who didn't start out in life want, not wanting to be a nurse or who are a second career nurse. You know, I think that, you know, when we say things like that, not just anyone can be a nurse, like we're excluding people the chance to even consider nursing 
as an option. And we're and we're saying, oh, because the thing is, some people start off going to, with nursing saying, hey, this is a job. I feel like I can do it and I can make money and I don't have to go to school for like 12, 12 years to do it. And some people have a problem with that because they're like, you're in it for the money. And it's like, no, but like we're human and, and like I need to be able to pay my bills and like buy toilet tissue and right. <laughs> get groceries. <laughs> so it's really like, we can I really fault somebody if that was if their initial draw was like, hey, these people are able to have a steady job. And then as they grow throughout their schooling or as they get further down the path, they realize, oh, they they socialize to the role of being a nurse. And it's like, yes, they made a good nurse. They were worthy of being a nurse, even if their reasons that for coming to nursing weren't the same as like, oh, I want to help people or, oh, I just want to have something, do something that matters. Like, what? (laughs) I feel like, you know, there's a lot of ways to make things matter, but I feel like us acting like, Nursing is a calling. I'm just not one to, I don't believe in that nursing is a calling. I believe that it's a job. And I feel like you decide whatever, wherever you are in your life, you can decide whether this is a job I want to do. You know, I'm not a, I don't, I don't, I like to kind of cut the ties as the religious bestowal of nursing being this thing, this gift that's bestowed upon certain people. Anyone can be a nurse. I feel like we should be like, you know, maybe not everyone wants to be a nurse or will be a nurse, but we should give everybody the opportunity to explore nursing as a possibility for themselves. I like that 110%. And I think that, you know, some of, some of those, those thoughts and those opinions on, you know, nursing is a calling and these angelic voices and how the, these perceptions, they actually only do nursing harm. Like, I, I don't know how. The, yes, the angel standard is killing us. It is. It is. It's killing us right now during this pandemic because, you know, oh, nurses are heroes. They're such good people. They can work 10 times harder than everyone else. And they really shouldn't have to say they're they, like nurses. They kind of make it like nurses are martyrs. And I think that language is dangerous. And I agree. Nursing is a job. At the end of the day, it's work that we have to do. Yes. They're, nurses are going to do it. It's the right thing to do. And I'm like, um, or, you know, oh yeah, nursing is hard. And yeah, that patient just like punched you in the face, but you know, it's part of the job and you're, you know, you're such angels. I'm like, no, I'm mad. Like, what you mean? I'm about right. to go home and like, listen to some Tupac or something. <laughs> like, I'm mad. Like somebody punched me in the face. I'm going to be mad. And I think that the angel standard dehumanizes us and people don't realize that that angel standard dehumanize it takes away our ability and people's ability to see us as humans because whether I'm a nurse or not, if someone assaults me, <laughs> right? like, I'm going to be upset. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that I should like, you know, pummel a patient. Right. But I'm saying that I have the right to be upset. I have the right to be uh, to voice my opinion. I have the right to be. I'm tired. I can't do this today. And that angel standard says that we should all just put that up under us. We should come up, rise above it. Right. Because you know we're doing such a noble right. work. No, forget that. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I hundred percent agree with you. And this is why you know even here we're still in these precarious types of positions where you know. In, in Ontario specifically, nurses actually can't collectively bargain it right now. So, for example, nurses who are in a union, uh, there's this bill that our government has put in. It's called Bill 124. And we actually are, our wages are capped at less than 1%. And people only started raging about it because, like, it's the pandemic. But the thing is, 
money, like nurses don't want to talk about money because like, oh, you know, we're, we're getting what we deserve. No, we're not getting what we we deserve. And we haven't been for a long time because, you know, these tropes, these ideas of how we're supposed to behave. And like, I agree with you, Pat, we need to get rid of some of this language and this mindset that we're these angelic beings. We don't have feelings and, you know, this, we, we got to rise above it. And then on the other hand, I see, you know, a nurse does complain and say, you know, I don't want to take this shit anymore. And and now we're, we're complaining. We're, we're, it's a sob story. And we're just like, we, yeah. we can't win. Right. And let's talk about this. Like I'm an adult. First of all, I have to tell people that because people are like, why are you complaining? I'm an adult. I can complain if I want, like, I don't feel any, I, I feel like people too need to realize like, I'm an, I'm just like you. Like when you get upset, you come to social media to vent. And I believe that there are healthy ways and unhealthy ways to do that. And there are ways that, you know, if you vent in a way that's not healthy, it could cause harm or, uh, cause barriers between, you know, between care. So I'm not saying that that's not a thing, but what I am saying is like, yeah, sometimes I'm just going to be like, look, I had a crappy day today. Like today was crap. Today was crap. And I'm going to talk about that. People got on my nerves and, but people act like, oh, well, you should be thankful. This is what you signed up for. No, I didn't. <laughs> right? like, who signed up for me? No, I didn't. Think about in any other industry, would they be allowed to complain? Absolutely. And because we're nurses, we're heroes. And that means we're like, we're not human and we're not allowed to complain. Like, I think that's ludicrous. And I think just going back to the conversation about money, being called heroes and being told we're the most respected, most trusted profession. Well, guess what? Money shows respect. So pay us what we deserve. Like, right. And and throughout the pandemic, I don't know if it's the same in where you are, but nurses have experienced increased um, incidences of physical and verbal abuse. And we aren't given any support. So we actually just did a podcast where um, our guest told us that police actually, compared to nurses, they suffer less violence on the job than nurses because we're not given any support. We're just thrown out there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely... Mm-hmm definitely kind of a it's 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 frustrating because people are like you can't complain i'm like yes i can i'm an adult i can complain and like you know people i think and i think people associate you complaining on social media and then people have to remember like you're seeing a snapshot of a moment of a frustration and you're not under you don't know what i'm doing at work to negate that or what kind of other things i'm having to overcome and or you know nurses not being in a position to do xyz so i think so you know people are like well why don't you just do something about it it's like who says i'm not i'm just here to come like i can be frustrated and complain along the way as i'm trying to figure out something better for myself or as i'm trying to you know navigate whatever the frustration is i'm allowed to complain along the way and i think people need to like stop expecting people not to complain people like well you know you never come up with any solutions you're just complaining yeah and i didn't really ask for your input on what i was doing i was just this this was was a this was a commentary this was not really a supposed to be a back and forth some things are just i'm posting it out here just so you know i don't really need your feedback on and some of those people should just keep scrolling yes (laughs) i didn't ask you to stop and read this like well, it's not like your post said, like, give me some feedback on my my day, right? But you know, that, that's social media. Social media can be such a bitch sometimes. Like, sometimes I'm just, it can. I'm like, what? I'm like, can you go, like, <laughs> go touch some grass or something? Because, like, you're mad and it's not with me. <laughs> right? Honestly, it's like people hiding behind these computer screens and they feel so emboldened to say whatever they need to say. And actually, I had to say this to someone just recently where I was like, you know, again, we were talking about nurses and nurses that are that are, you know, really having a difficult time during this pandemic because it's, it's, it's crazy. Right. 
And then we get, you know, people posting being like, well, yeah, this is what you signed up for. Or, you know, um, this is a pandemic. You guys are making this up and, you know, just don't say anything. And it's like, well, no one asked you. And why don't you put your first and last name so we can, you know, and your picture up so we can kind of remember who you are because you're saying this kind of stuff. Right. But of course, when you're hiding behind a computer screen, the anonymity, you could just people feel that they can say whatever they want. (laughs) And again, like they really, they can't, they come at nurses and then because nursing is such a, you know, there is, it's very, it's dominated by women too. I feel like people just feel it's so easy because I think we go through spells on social media where people go from, oh, we love nurses and stuff like this. Nurses are so important. They're so valuable. And then a nurse voices some kind of frustration or about how they deserve to be paid. And then it becomes nurses are trash. They're selfish. We are, then everybody starts telling, you know, stories about that mean girl that became a nurse. Yep. And I'm like, okay, so do y'all hate us or do you love us? I don't understand. I'm confused. Like you're sending me mixed signals, dude. No, no, I've seen that too. It's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely true where they were, they were banging pots and pans out here. And then it went from banging pots and pans to throwing garbage at nurses, um, spitting at them, yelling at them, saying that they're killing oh, wow. patients. Yeah, it was crazy. It was wild. They actually had stopped. It was like these anti-vaxxers. They had stopped an ambulance from coming into a hospital because, you know, we're 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 just making it all up so it can go from one extreme to the other you're right we've seen it here too so but anyways could you tell us a little bit about disrupt and reimagine nursing so i'm very very interested in this because i one of the things sarah and I, i have always been saying is you know Although we had this traditional line of education in nursing, it is really rooted in whiteness. It got me in a little bit of trouble when I said that. But at the end of the day, I know I was speaking the truth. Because nursing does need to change. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about Disrupt and Reimagine Nursing. Yes. So it was kind of a happy accident. I had been working with my my Twitter colleague, Shrimp. That's, That's how she goes by. I don't even remember how I really met Shrimp, but we were just talking about things. And I was like, you know... When the pandemic started, I was like, you know, how are people who are unhoused, like, how do they get masks and keep clean masks like as like or get masks at all because they cost money and, you know, they were running out everywhere. I was like, how are they getting masks? And I was like, I think I want to get together. I want I would love to like get some like small kits and just hand them out because I know where they ha- kind of frequent. And I was like, I, re- I would love to kind of get some kits and just be able to give out, you know, basic toiletries and maybe a few masks. I realized it wasn't going to change the world. Uh, it wasn't going to end homelessness, but I feel like I'm like, well, maybe it'll just, you know, give them a little bit of protection. And so I I did that. And then everybody on Nurse Order came together and, and Shrimp really helped with like coordinating and promoting. And then so we got, I met other people during that time and they were all um, very supportive. And we all were talking about things about what, what we didn't like about nursing education. And we have found other people who were like uh, on the same line with me about, you know, us needing to kind of like uh, maintain alternate entry points to nursing. Like here in the United States, we still have associate degree programs for registered nurses. We have LPNs, um, which are a one-year diploma program. We have bachelor's, you know, the traditional bachelor's route. We have an accelerated bachelor's. So we were talking about this and all, all of us kind of were on the same line. And then eventually we, we talk about these things. We hosted a lot of these different conversations together. And eventually we were like, let's, let's form this group. It's, it's a kind of a group or a collective. It's nothing formal. It's not an organization at this point. That is kind of the goal. But it's just this group of people who want to disrupt what the narrative of what nursing currently is and reimagine what nursing could be. 
in the future. So that's kind of um, the start of it. We kind of, And we came up with it because one of the people in the group is um, Jerry Susi, and he's known as the deaf nurse because he was a hospice and palliative care nurse. He is just a hoot. He's so, he's so funny. I have a, we have a good time with Jerry and he's, he's just so like gun ho about supporting this. And he's been a nurse a really long time. And it just shows me like you can have been a nurse a really long time and still want to see change because he is living proof of that. He is with him being a, you know, the deaf nurse. I was thinking, I was like, you know, DNR nursing, you know, what is a DNR is when, you know, when someone's like, if something happens to me, I don't want to be resuscitated. And I was like, you know, some things we need to, in nursing, we need to let go and and let it go. And, and, you know, we can resuscitate and and our, our resuscitation is the reimagination because we're not going to let some things come back, you know, once they fizzle out, we're going to let them stay there. And, um, but so, you know, disrupt and reimagine nursing became, you know, DNR nursing. So I love it. No, I love it. What are some things that you guys envision for changes toward for nursing? A big thing is about nursing education. Cause I think that was one of the biggest things that we all came together on and about decreasing the violence that we see in nursing education. A big thing that we were just talking about, I don't know if you all saw it, but there was this big thing about this nursing student was on TikTok and was talking about the mid-dose calculation exams and how at her school, you have to take them every semester. And if you don't get 100%, you get kicked out of school. Right. Like maybe you get, and I I couldn't remember if it was like, maybe like you can take retake it once or something like that. But like, basically it was this all or nothing high stakes testing. And that's really such a violent thing. As a nurse educator myself, you know, someone that teaches LPNs and ADN students, I was like, that's really such an unnecessary thing because, you know, there's no evidence to support that creating this high stakes, high stakes, high pressure testing is actually going to increase someone's competence in dosage calculation. We found that the research tells us that like if you, you know, doing things like um, simulation and and getting practice in clinical, those are the things that solidify and increase the competency and the development of those skills and competencies. But we know that, you know, the biggest things about that medication errors and med errors more often than not are happening because of um, environmental issues, whether it's because of uh, unsafe staffing, it's a high stress situation, there is a lot of confusion about roles and things like that. So there's no evidence that suggests that most med errors occur even because of med calculations. And the idea should be that we we learn and fortify the skill throughout nursing education and that once somebody's demonstrated competency, we help them develop that, develop and grow that competency. But we don't have to do that by creating this high stakes, oh, if you fail this, you're kicked out of the program, even though you may be doing well in other areas. There's no reason for that. And so there are a lot of other things in nursing education that are quite violent that kind of come from this colonial mindset, this idea that this is like you're all or nothing and like we're going to snap and you're going to jump in line. And we realize that it's possible to do nursing education without having those things. But a lot of people don't want to let go. Well, that was my experience. And there's no other way. They're convinced that there's no other way of doing it. And so a lot of people were just so misfocus on the idea like so we're not going to test people we're not going to we're not going to make sure nurses how to do know how to do medical you know medication calculations and i'm like no one no one said that (laughs) yeah like some people just jump to some very like strange conclusions i'm like of course nurses need to know how to do like med dosage calculations but we don't have to traumatize people every around every corner in order to ensure that they know how to do that like what it makes it seem like 
because nursing school, I think, should be a psychologically safe place where you can learn, right, and make mistakes in a low-risk environment so that when you do get out onto the floor that you can think properly and make those calculations properly. And really, nursing is a team. It's like a team sport. Like, you're not doing this on your own. There are other people involved in all of this. So I feel like that would be so incredibly stressful for me. I think I'm just envisioning all these nursing students suffering from medication PTSD after after what they had to go through. I've had math anxiety my whole life. Like math has never been my strong suit. And at, like for a long time, I was like, am I going to be able to be a nurse if, I, if like I have so much anxiety around math? Like I was a very average student with math. I was not a high performer. I could like do some science out out of the wazoo but like math was just I struggled with math or math heavy science like chemistry or physics it just was like kind of harder for me but I I made it and I was a I was you know a CBICU nurse and I teach pharmacology I now teach the class that you know I was once most afraid of and that I actually had a good experience in because you know after I demonstrated my competency um my program didn't like try to intimidate me further by creating high stakes high stakes testing and now actually since i've graduated from my program i now teach in the associate degree program and at the community college that i attended and we no longer have a high stakes medication dosage exam at all right we infuse like, like that information throughout their test throughout their nursing school pr- um, program so they can develop and continue to maintain that competency throughout the program but we no longer have a test and guess what to our to everyone's surprise we retained more students and they performed better like wow wow we don't have to traumatize people and they can still learn the same skill like yeah and so yeah that's a big thing we want to like change nursing education from the entry requirements um and have and a lot of it starts with having conversations about the problems that we're seeing in nursing education and what we're going to do to change it yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think that's actually a, a perfect example. And and I could tell you, like, I had jumped onto that one, too, because I ended up having, I'll be honest, I actually had, like, just like you, really bad math anxiety. And I think it was year two where we had to do our dosage calculations. And it was the same thing, high stakes uh, types of testing. And I remember one time I'm, I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in the, I think we were actually like in our clinical lunchroom when we were writing these tests. And it was like 10 questions, you got to get like 90. And I remember sitting there and all of a sudden I'm like, Ooh, I'm feeling hot. And I'm like, kind of like opening up my shirt a little bit. And I'm like, Oh, I'm looking down at the paper. There's drips of sweat. I'm like, Oh, sweating. Like what's happening here. And I look and I'm like, question two. And there's of course eight more questions. And all of a sudden I was just like, I couldn't breathe. Is it worth someone having a panic attack because they can't, this is the type of stress that they put people under. And I remember like I, I ended up having a panic attack. I didn't know what it was at the time. I couldn't write it. Like I, the teacher came over and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I feel like I'm about to suffocate. And I remember leaving and coming back being like, what really happened to me? And I realized it was, I was so stressed that I thought I was going to kill someone if I don't get these nine questions right. And it wasn't that I couldn't do it because every time I had done it before, I still had, like, I still got those grades, but I was under so much stress in that clinical situation that I ended up having a panic attack. Is that what people want from their nurses? It's not worth it. So this is why we need to do things differently. 
I remember actually when I started in the NICU, um, we had, as part of our orientation, it was pretty intense, but we had all of these medication calculations we had to do. But the scenarios were so complicated that even our clinical educator was getting confused trying to explain to us what the answer was. Like she had the answer key, but she could not walk us through how to get to that answer. And I left even more confused. Like, how am I going to be a NICU nurse if I can't do these calculations and nobody can explain it to me? And then when I got onto the floor, I realized that the testing scenarios were not real life. Like, I think there's a way to test people that maybe is a little bit more realistic and not just numbers on paper, because really we're on computers these days. It's not how we calculate medications anymore. And it's maybe, again, what you said, reimagining how we teach nursing and redoing things that are 50 years old. Like it doesn't have to be the same curriculum it was 50 years ago because healthcare is not the same as it was that long ago. So just kind of on the same vein of nursing education, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about your work in facilitating diversity, more diversity in nursing programs. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of another branch of a thing that brought us together with with DNR nursing or, or you know, disrupt and reimagine nursing is about diversity. Because a lot of, I think a lot of it is, is that when I see some of the conversations around nursing, again, looping back to that conversation, we can't just let anyone be a nurse. When I've seen that comment come up most is when we're talking about decreasing barriers to nursing education and primarily those decreasing those barriers would benefit people from historically excluded groups. So ethnic minorities, people who are first generation, people who speak uh, English as a second language, people who are immigrants, uh, people who um, from various gender backgrounds or uh, perspectives, people who come from a, you know, a, a, their, their family was not rich or their, you know, they come from a, a, a complex socioeconomic background when we talk about removing those barriers, those are the primary people that we need to remove those barriers for. Because when we have those people who have those various lived experiences, it increases the effectiveness of nursing. Because when you have, you can relate a lot more to patients experiencing those same things that you've been through. But so a lot of times when we're talking about decreasing those barriers, those are the primary people who would benefit from from removing these barriers and making and that and th- those are the people that will help make nursing more diverse, not just ethnically diverse, because I think a lot of times when we say diversity, people think we're just talking about ethnic diversity, right. which that is a huge piece. But that's only one part of the problem. We also need people who have had different lived experiences. We need people who have been who've been homeless at one point to be in nursing. We need people who don't who speak English as their second language in nursing. That they improve nursing care. They see things and they can relate to people in a way that I can't. You know according to whatever, you know, positionalities I have. And so, again, when I was when we're advocating for that diversity, a lot of times things that would make that diversity a reality, like eliminating a lot of these barriers to, to being able to enter nursing, that's when we see those, pro- well, we have to have standards. We have to have standards. We can't just let anyone be a nurse. And it again, it frustrates me again because it's like, okay, I, we're over here talking about how nursing is overwhelmingly white and 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 it's, it's majority, you know, 80% women here in the United States. And I'm like, okay, we were asking to change that and we're telling you this is what it takes to change that. And, you're, and your first response is, we well, we just can't let, we have to have standards. We have to let, it's like, why does increasing diversity mean, why would that ever mean drop not having standards? I agree. I don't I don't understand why people would think that, you know? I a hundred percent agree. And I think that actually goes for any healthcare discipline. That's medicine, that's nursing, that is social work, that is any healthcare discipline. Like I a hundred percent agree with you. 
I, I hate that term where people are like, oh, we, you know, we, we need to have standards. Of course you will have standards. You will still have the same standards, but what you will have is an enriched experience for healthcare providers as well as the people receiving care. It's that fear really of change, that fear that something different is better. Exactly. And it all goes down to that. It, it's a very fear-based way of approaching nursing education. Well, we can't, we've got, we've got to have standards. We can't just let anyone be a nurse. That's a very fear-based and it's really kind of enrolled and up under that fear is colonialism, is elitism, is classism, is racism. A hundred percent. under that are all of those isms. Yep. No, I agree. I mean, yeah, I agree. We can't start that episode, (laughs) but like definitely (laughs) there's definitely when we talk about like whiteness and white supremacy and these ideas and colonialism, it does put a lot of people's backs up and it's because they don't fundamentally understand where we're coming from and what that experience may look like and what it actually means. Like nursing is rooted, rooted in colonialism. So is medicine. And I think that we have to have these conversations. We have to talk about it and we have to continue to ask people, why are we continuing to do it the way that you think it's the best way? And I could tell you, you mm-hmm. keep asking why, they're not going to come up with the, the answer because they're going to say, well, this is how it's always been. Well, we know it's not working, so we know we need to change it. Yeah, that is my number one, probably most hated phrase in nursing. This is how we've always done it. And I think that even in diversifying the nursing workforce, it's only going to benefit patients because if they can see someone that looks like them and has a similar background to them, I think they're more likely to follow, you know, what your advice or what your recommendations would be because you understand them fundamentally different than someone who, you know, looks or has a different culture than them. So I, I think it would only help. And even just nurses who have disabilities, like, can we not involve yes. them in education a bit more? I, I would love to, on the podcast, I'm going to say this for all our listeners, I would love to have a guest on our podcast who has a disability, whether it's visible or not. I think that would be something really uh, impactful. Oh, my gosh. I know someone. The seated nurse. Oh. I know someone. Oh, <laughs> could you hook us up? I was trying to reach out to her. Maybe you can hook us up. Yes, I will see if I can because I know like like she's a big advocate about that because she like my thing that's another thing like nursing education is also very ableist like very ableist. I had I had someone tell me I had someone tell me the other week that they were at nursing school and this uh, woman applied and she was um very very overweight. They told her they said um you have to lose a little bit more weight before you get into the program because we don't know if you'll be able. Are you to serious? Physically, someone she said this was back in the late nineties when she went to a community college and they literally told the girl. And the girl was like, I don't know. She didn't. She wasn't able to like to go to another school. She was place bound. They literally said, I don't know if you would be able to. If you would be, you would probably have to miss a lot of time from school. And I'm like, how? Like, how do things like that happen? But that happens. And I'm like, why can't we imagine having a nursing student who is, you know, deaf or hard of deaf or hard or hard of hearing? Why can't we have a nursing student who is in, that uses a wheelchair in our like people are like, well, how could they be a nurse? They could totally be a nurse. They can totally be a nurse. Like we have to meet rise to meet them to the occasion, but why can't they be a nurse? My thing is like so many people are about but how could how could they? I ask why not? Like I, I try not to ask why from the standpoint of like it's of impossibility i try to come from the like okay if we do this how does it look like i can respect people if they came at this uh, a lot of these questions like okay i hear what you're saying i just don't i don't i don't personally have an idea of how like if we're gonna change these 
change these admission standards to make nursing more diverse, more accessible to students of color, more accessible uh, accessible to students with disabilities. You know, I don't. It's okay to say I don't know how we do that, but I. But you know how? So you know, what are some ideas, or can we brainstorm? So there's a way to say I don't know, but I don't know how to do this, but still be willing to explore possibilities, and that's what we need to see a lot more of. You know. I wholeheartedly agree. I think I think what you're trying to say is like, how might we go about doing this differently? How might we include people that, you know, have visible disability? I think that's the questions that we should be asking. We shouldn't be having these barriers up. I think when I when I hear people say, well, you know, this person can't do it. I think that for me, I'd be that person that's like, I'm going to show you that I can. Like, that's yeah. just like, we, mm-hmm. we, it makes you want to do it even more. You're right. Nursing is very ableist. Like I look at some of these admission requirements, some of these stipulations, and I'm kind of like, why are these here? Like, who is this? Who does mm-hmm. this benefit most? Right. Like having health insurance. And it's, it, I'm just like, you know, like, yes, a, a nursing student, cause they're going to be in a health environment should have health insurance. You know, in case they get sick. But the thing is, we we know how much of a barrier, especially in the United States, because like health insurance is like very expensive and that we don't have universal health care. So it's like getting health insurance and having that be a requirement is such a barrier here for us, you know, and having things like that and requiring the student. Like if you're not offering them some affordable option yourself at your institution, like how dare you be like, well, you have to if you don't have health insurance, you're not going to be able to get into the program or stay in the program. Like what? Just seems like we're not setting people up for success, which is a huge shame. Well, it sounds like the work is underway. We stand with you. We stand in solidarity with you. We're willing to do the work. If there's something that we can do to elevate and and give voice to the the causes in terms of like disrupt and reimagine, like we're here for it all day, every day. So what I'd like to say is thank you so much, Pat, for coming on the Greeners podcast, bringing your perspective, your lens, your expertise. We're here for it all day. And just let our listeners know quickly where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me um, on Twitter, right in my mouth, as always, at, <laughs> at Nurse Pat Mac RN. That's at N-U-R-S-E-P-A-T-M-A-C. RN, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you can find me on um, Instagram at just Pat Mac RN, um, at Pat Mac RN. And then you can also reach me at my website and you can email me there at www.patmacrn.com, um, dot P-A-T-M-A-C-R-N dot C-O-M. So yeah, those are places you can find me mostly. I don't mind answering questions. Don't come to me with anything crazy though, because I will ignore you. But, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I'm willing to talk. <laughs> So great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. 